Hello. That was beautiful. Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. You're back again with Dude and Andy. Andy, what's up, man? What's up, dude? Are you on top of the Himalayas or something? You uh No, I, I just had a Ricola. You just had a Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> so, or Ricola, I don't know. There you go. I'm glad your throat is feeling good. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. It is the Album Nerds Podcast. Two dudes who uh sit down and talk about some albums that we recommend, but enjoying, try and make it a little bit entertaining. Sometimes, Very little. Sometimes you're more <laughs> successful than others. <laughs> but today on the show, we're doing a segment that's called Loose Connections. Let me explain to you how it works. One of us, in this case, this week it was me, picks out a record from our collection. Just something we happen to enjoy, we haven't talked about it already. Uh, I picked out the Pink Floyd record from 1977, Animals. And I charged my friend here, the dude, with finding a record that was somehow connected to it. So he could like go off of the word animals, maybe Pink Floyd, maybe a common producer, maybe they shared the same studio space, maybe they were friends. Could be anything. So I tried everything, man. And then we figured it out. Yeah. Animals is is loosely based on a novel. Mm-hmm. So was my pick. All right. So we're going with the literature. We're getting a little classy on the episode today. Putting our reading glasses on and... Uh, All right. Let's do it. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A or reading album. rainbow. <laughs> All right. So we are going to follow that reading rainbow all the way to uh, Moby Dick with Mastodon's 2004 album Leviathan. Let's just jump in. This is Iron Tusk. Love that drum change, man. Oh, That's why man. I had to play that part. <laughs> Drums are so good on this record. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't want to turn it off. I wanted to just bang my head on the wall. Uh, so Mastodon, American Heavy Metal band from Atlanta, Georgia, formed in the year 2000. Uh, bassist Troy Sanders, guitarist Brent Hines, and Bill Kelleher, and drummer Bran Daler all of whom performed vocals in the studio, except for uh, Bill, apparently. They all performed vocals at live shows as, as well. So they've released seven studio albums, as well as a number of other EPs and things of that nature. The debut album, Remission, released in 2002, got a lot of critical acclaim. They're like a thinking man's metal band. So what are your thoughts about uh, about Mastodon? 
Well, I think anybody who knows me or has listened to the show much in the past would know I'm a huge fan. They're one of my favorite bands from the 2000s for sure. So I'm pretty partial <laughs> they come into this one. There's that great blend of like rock, metal, prog rock. They got that sludge element to them there. They're very talented musicians. I particularly love Brandale there, the drummer. I think he's incredibly talented and really, really shines on this record in particular. So yeah, I'm a huge fan and uh, it's fun going back and listening to some of their earlier records here. Yeah, man. I mean, they're kind of like, I mean, when I first heard them, they're kind of like Metallica in terms of at least their their talent level. I mean, the the music is different. It's not thrashy, but mm. well, it is in parts. But they have they have parts of everything. You know, there's some thrash elements. There's elements from all types of metal. But their talent, their musical talent, and their ability to like that drum switch over yeah. to just shift gears in the middle of their songs in a way that doesn't sound clunky is just awesome. So I got to give them that. So this album. Leviathan that we're talking about was released August 31st, 2004, 46 minutes long. It's on Relapse Records, produced by Mastodon and Matt Bales or Bayless. Uh, it's their second full length release. It's a concept album based on the novel Moby Dick by Herman Melville, which was uh, first published in 1851, which apparently people didn't like it back then. They thought it was kind of lame. Uh, it was about an albino sperm whale. Well, it's actually based, I guess, on accounts of an albino sperm whale called Mocha Dick. Huh. Yeah, it was a, who was allegedly <laughs> stuck full of harpoons and would attack whaling ships on site. So Melville kind of took that and made a story about it. He was already a successful author at the time. But now he's considered an American master, and this is like his masterpiece, uh, Moby Dick. So uh, over 150 years after Moby Dick's publication... Mastodon releases Leviathan, which in one article I read, they call it a ball-crushing bit of sludge, loosely based on Melville's, Melville's epic novel. I say that's pretty accurate, wouldn't you? <laughs> Balls are usually <laughs> sufficiently crushed, but over, yeah. <laughs> so the drummer, Bran uh, Daler, explained in a 2004 interview with Chronicles of Chaos that when they did headlining shows in the UK, he was in the middle of reading Moby Dick, he spouted off that they should use that for the guideline for their next album. And so they started talking about, you know, imagery in Moby Dick, like the sea salt mastodon is mentioned in the book. Hmm. And there's so many, you know, all those images that can be taken from whaling and the sea would really work well. The craziness of Captain Ahab, the main character, his obsession with Moby Dick, all that would make really good metal ingredients. Yeah. So, um, that's what they did. I just wanted to, you know, and I guess at least half of the songs center around the novel. And I want to talk a little bit about Iron Tusk, which we just listened to. This is an ode to whale killing and the whale killer's implement of choice, the harpoon. Some of the lines, straight line, feel it burst, liver and lung, long and strong till he spills her black blood. I mean, it's kind of gross, but just the, the, the way that the lyrics are written very much Sounds like stuff that would have been in the novel. Yeah, I feel like some of the lines are almost verbatim. There are. They're very similar. Yeah. A, yeah, a lot of references just right out of the book. Like, uh, 
Hearts Alive is a term that's thrown around in the book a lot. So they have a song called Hearts Alive. Mm-hmm. And there, there are definitely lines from the book and terms from the book thrown in, which I think is pretty cool. They really did the work. Yeah. To, and that's one of the things I really admire about this. So, all, you know, what you, you tell me about this. You introduced me to this band. What? And this was the album you did it with. <laughs> so for once, you actually did. I mean, I know you try and take credit other times, but this time you actually did. So yeah, I want to hear about it from you. Well, it's kind of funny how I, how I found it. was I was reading Moby Dick in the early 2000s. It took me like almost two years to finish it. It's a monster of a book. <laughs> There's sections that are hard to get through, but all in all, it's a really incredible story. Um, but anyway, so I was just looking up information online to get some backstory on it, and they had just put out this record like a month or two before, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll just check it out, because it's, you know, it's loosely based on it. I had no idea who Mastodon was or what kind of music it was, but, uh, right from, That's the, awesome, man. Right from the opening. That's awesome. Yeah. It That's was... the best way. That's the best way possible to find this album. <laughs> I know. Who would know? They'd end up being one of my favorite bands. Uh, would come from reading that book, but uh, yeah, it worked out pretty well. I, right from the opening cut here, "Blood and Thunder" is just this album is just pummeling. The drums, like I mentioned, uh, Brand's drums are just incredible. And they're, they're at this point in their career, they're they have a really crunchy guitar sound too, which I really love. And the vocals are very rough and rugged and. It just, it feels like you can feel that craziness of Ahab just in these songs. I mean, they just you like, feel like you're just hanging on for, for dear life all the way through this record. Um, but then, it, you know, it ends up with a beautiful track at the end there, Hearts Alive, which is like a 13 minute yeah. just masterpiece. And at that point, when I heard that song, I was like, wow, these guys could really be a good band. Like, they can really play and they can write some songs here. Like, I'm going to have to keep an eye on these guys. So. Yeah, it was the start of something beautiful, but uh, it all, all started from Moby Dick, so it's kind of kind of funny how that worked out. But uh, what a great what a great record, man! Good pick. Well, thank you. It's because of you and and our talk about what I was going to loosely connect to uh, the upcoming Pink Floyd talk. So why don't we listen to Blood and Thunder, the opening track? It's uh, from the first-person point of view of Captain Ahab and uh, feels like you're being thrown around in the dark chasing the white whale. Yeah, white whale, holy grail. I can't <laughs> scream it right, but that—I mean—that's that's enough lyric right there to tell you something. Um, yeah, I mean they summarize like a nine hundred page book in two words, or three words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, some of the lyrics allude directly to Melville's text, like during the bridge where it says, "Spilt your lungs with blood and thunder. When you see the white whale, break your backs and crack your oars, man, if you wish to prevail." The ivory leg is what propels me. Didn't Captain Ahab have a ivory peg leg? 
Yeah, from, yeah. From, Moby, uh, Moby Dick had from eat, whalebone. Eating his leg off originally, so yep. yeah. Harpoons thrust in the sky, aim directly for his crooked brow, and hook him straight in the eye. So Blood and Thunder originated as a non-religious oath in the 18th century, so that was in the book, and that's kind of, that's pretty freaking cool, dude. Yeah, yeah, this is something that metal is really good at doing, telling uh, these kind of extreme stories like this. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole kind of Viking epic of the yeah. last track, I was reading a lot of comparisons to New Wave of British heavy metal influence in the grandiosity of some of this and that, that kind of adventurer's metal. So, you know, I can dig that. Anytime I can bring that together, <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And by the way, I'm I'm wearing an Iron Maiden shirt tonight, so I'm genuine article man. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about what we like about about this album, and, and I've been talking a lot. So Andy, why don't you why don't you talk about it first? What do you like about this record? Um, I think it's well the riffs, particularly the guitar riffs. I really love this this kind of style that they had in the, earlier in their career. Um, I also think it's really impressive how they tell the story with very few words. Um, there's not a lot of lyrics throughout the record, but sonically it goes up and down quite a bit. And I, I think you could just listen to it and not pay attention to the words and still get a good sense of, of how the story uh, unfolds. Yeah. Read the book while you're, while you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I definitely have done that. Yeah. To sum up, to sum up what I like about it, I mean, one, the relentless instrumentation that makes it feel like you're on these rough, dark seas. The attention to detail uh, with the passages from the book. And the best part is concept album. I mean, we love those on this show. So yeah, we sure do. Happy about that. Yeah. So what didn't you like, dude? Um, That's tough, but it's kind of a rough-sounding recording. It may, may be intentional, but um, some of their later work would sound much more polished. But Which they've taken flack for. So, <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, you can't you can't win with that one. So. Yeah, you can't win. Uh, yeah, for me, I guess it's unrelenting, man. And sometimes, like on one or two listens, that's great. But sometimes, just unrelenting is like, please, please, you're hurting me. So <laughs> you know, and that's that's really hard. It's hard to find things I don't like because I really, really love this album, and the lyrics were sometimes kind of lost in the mayhem, but. All in all, buy it, listen to it, go read Moby Dick, and listen to this album while driving at very high volume, <laughs> and uh, scare everyone that stopped next to you at the red light. <laughs> nice. Well, good pick, man. Good pick. That's definitely a classic record, in my opinion. So, um, are we gonna are we gonna continue on this reading rainbow? Let's. Go a little bit further down the rainbow. Maybe we'll find a pot of gold. Oh, yes. So beautiful. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. Thank you, Reading Rainbow. I wonder if they, uh, they should have Mastodon do their theme song <laughs> from now on. All right, bro. Bring it. All right. So for my literary pick here, I'm going back to the late 70s and Pink Floyd, a band we haven't talked about yet on the show. They put out a very interesting record, Animals, in 1977. This is their uh, 10th studio album. Pink Floyd, very influential, very popular English rock band, primarily known for their work in the uh, 
the 60s, 70s, and 80s. You know, progressive space rock, best known for Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall, two of the all-time best-selling records. I'm a big fan. I really appreciate this, especially this era of Floyd, um, this series of records that we're going to kind of crack right into the middle to middle of here. I really, really enjoy. Uh, how about you, man? You a fan? Uh, yeah, yeah, loosely. You know, I enjoy their albums. I'm not like, uh, I don't put on black lights and take anything and listen to it. But yeah, I enjoy Floyd once in a while, particularly Dark Side of the Moon. But uh, I, this this was a fun one to listen to. I hadn't really listened to it more than once or twice in my life. So Why don't we jump in and play a cut here? This is the second track on the record, Dogs. So Animals is the record that comes right after Wish You Were Here and right before The Wall. I think you can kind of hear flashes of of both records uh, represented Mm -hmm. on Animals. So they had just moved into a new recording space. So they had a new record deal just signed and a bunch of money. So they bought a big warehouse space and set up a 24-track recorder and were just kind of sitting down and trying to figure out... 24? 24 That was tracks. a lot of tracks back then, dude. That yeah. was a ton. Well, they were like state-of-the-art back then, man. They were all about having all the special studio wizardry and all that. So they had this kind of loose collection of songs, and they needed a theme to tie, tie it all together. And they came up with uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm as being a nice kind of way to congeal these tracks together. Animal Farm is a kind of scathing critique on the class system. Um, if you haven't read it, it's a fairly short book and very, very entertaining. Uh, it's kind of, kind of satirical, a little funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a rip on Stalinism. Mm-hmm. Um, Orwell was kind of like a, I think he leaned towards socialism, but Stalinism with its dictatorships and violence and killing people that don't agree with you and all of that stuff. Yeah, so this is kind of like the British version of that, if you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's dark and brooding. Um, they kind of break society down into three groups. The, the dogs, which are kind of like the ruling um, combative class that are kind of fighting with each other constantly to, for power. And there's the pigs, which are kind of viewed as like the wealthy capitalists who are just concerned about having getting money and uh, holding down the lower class, the sheep, as they refer to here. Um, they're kind of like the masses. Just the general society, the people who just blindly follow along while they're told. And, of course, they have a, a pretty um, distinct opinion on uh, on the structure. I know that's in British culture, it's a little bit different than, than things in the U.S. here. They have a little more defined cultural system. So it was a little more of a hot topic there. In the track Dogs that we just heard, um, there's some really dark imagery. I'm just going to read a little bit of the lyrics here to give you a sense of of how they're portraying these people. Uh, It goes, And it's too late to lose the weight you used to use to need to throw around. So you have a good, so have a good drown. As you go, 
down all alone, dragged down by the stone. So basically just say money. Yeah, stone, stone stone's money, money capitalism. Okay. Uh, yeah. Talking about these, you know, fat rich people who throw the weight around and now that all that weight is what's gonna drag them down to the down to their death. So super dark imagery. I think it's very artfully done here, as you'd expect from Pink Floyd. It's very, uh, very classy and very uh, intellectual sounding. What did you think of this record, man? Had you heard this one before? I had heard it. Um, I've, pr- I've probably heard all their records. It's one I don't happen to own on vinyl. I just haven't come across it. So if I listen to Pink Floyd, I tend to do it that way because mm. it feels like yeah. The the genuine right way and you know flip that flipping the album probably means something. The side A, side B is probably really important. Right. The sound is so complicated and sort of emotionless generally. I mean, there's the occasional vocal change where it's a little more yelling, but it's so dreamy all the time, it's sometimes difficult to get a read on human emotion. But it's a good record. I mean, there's I didn't un- you know I enjoyed every second of it. it. I listened to it many times. My wife was singing along to all the songs, so <laughs> clearly she's heard it before. So yeah, I also read something weird that this may have been a retort or reaction to the punk music movement uh, that was happening at the time. Uh, I read something about that Johnny Rotten had been wearing a T-shirt, a Pink Floyd T-shirt that had written on it, "I hate." Pink Floyd. Yeah, and, I read that too, actually. Yeah, you know, and there were other British artists like the Who and stuff reacting, like who are you know who are you and stuff to the punk, the change, you know, in music. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I couldn't really find that in here personally, but I read that. In a way, it's kind of like a lot of what was on. I wish you were here. Was kind of like a fuck you to the man and the machine kind of thing, and that's similar sentiment here more towards capitalism specifically not, not so much the record industry but so maybe in that sense it's kind of punk but i wouldn't call pink floyd like diy or you know like uh living in the gutter or anything like these guys were yeah, no. <laughs> these guys are pretty successful musicians at this point in their career so yeah, I don't know. Let's play uh, one more cut from this this is the towards the end of the record here we have the uh the sheep and they are, as I said, the masses. And during this song here, they, they kind of revolt and rise up against the, the dogs and the pigs and kind of take over society. But in the end, we kind of, it's kind of a lackluster finish in that the sheep kind of just kind of go home and, and forget about the problems that they had. And then the cycle basically just continues over and over again. So it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit depressing in the end. <laughs> we kind of just had the same problems we started with. <laughs> but you just flip the record over and keep on going. So let's play a little bit uh, from Sheep. Yeah, it's about as funky as it gets, I would say, right there. Yeah, that was uh, that was basically like listening to Parliament. 
par- parliament, booty. parliament fly there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the things we liked. Okay. I like the literary tie. That's cool. I like that they, this is a little, the musicianship is a little simpler, uh, right? I mean, there was a guitar, keyboard, yeah. a lot of keyboard stuff, but a little less flourish than on some of the spacier records yeah. that came before. Not as many instruments as usual, I would say. Yeah, a little yeah. more. So I like that, changing it up a little bit, uh, doing things differently. The animal themes, you know, I liked how they, they took that and, and ran with it. Mm-hmm. And a little harder rocking, more guitar driven than what they had been doing. So I thought those were, that makes it have a kind of flavor of its own. Besides the theme, the sound is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. David Gilmore's guitar work on here, I often heard referred to as some of the best of his career, particularly on Dogs, that track we first played. Um, Really just scathing guitar licks on here. Very impressive stuff. Yeah, and uh, Roger Waters, he wrote, I think he wrote all the lyrics on this record. Um, really, really interesting imagery. It's surprisingly dark um, when you really read through the lyrics. You know, I think he has a, a very clear point in each in each track, and it's pretty obvious to see what he's getting at. So that is a good thing. Let's uh, talk about things we didn't care for as much. The lack, it's like four or five tracks, right? Yeah. And they're really long instead of, I would have preferred a, the story being broken up a little bit more so I could have some point of reference. I feel like it all kind of bled together, and I know that was probably on purpose, obviously, but yeah, I didn't really true. like that too much. Repurposing Orwell's themes from Animal Farm and taking, instead of Stalinism, which was truly evil, and doing capitalism was a little namby-pamby to me, but mm. I get it. You know, capitalism isn't perfect. No system is. But kind of doing the switcheroo on that and make you know taking Orwell's book and referencing it, but then kind of changing the theme. And I didn't love that they shoehorned in that theme after to try and take some songs and make it into a concept instead of starting with a concept. Yeah. But all in all, man, you know, those are nitpicks. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, too, when I read that. It didn't start with that particular concept, but uh, they did a pretty good job fitting it in there. Um, I would agree on the the pacing of the record, especially on Dogs, which is 17 minutes long. I can You can get a little bit lost in that song. It's a little hard to tell mm-hmm. what is going on in terms of the st- structure of the music, like where you are, you know, as it's coming up to a climax, it just kind of carries along very steadily for a while. And then the opening and closing cuts, uh, Pigs on the Wing 1 and 2, a really beautiful song. Um, I think Waters wrote that about his uh, wife at the time, but they don't really fit the story at all or really have anything to do with... It's really a, more of a love song and doesn't really have anything to do with capitalism or or animal farm or anything. So it's kind of... I wouldn't say throwaway songs, but they don't really fit in. Good songs, nonetheless. Uh, all in all, for me, this is definitely a, a Buy It Records, one of my favorite Floyd records, and I really appreciate how much it stands out from the rest of their discography because it is so guitar-based. I think it's a pretty awesome listen. Yeah, I'd say it's a must-listen. I think pretty much most of the first 10 or so Pink Floyd albums are must-listens. <clears throat> Go buy it. Get yeah. it on vinyl if you can. 
Yeah. And send me a copy. <laughs> I've never seen it on vinyl either, so buy two if you get it on Sunday on both of us, please. All right. All right. So next week on the show, we're going to be doing another installment, part four in our essential new wave of British heavy metal, Nwamba. And, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you just butchered that on purpose. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, funk, uh, genre exploration that we've been doing in 2018. So be sure and tune in for that. We got two new records to dive into. It should be fun. Yeah. And come back to listen to me torture Andy with some more heavy metal from the 80s. Oh, <laughs> anyway. God, please make it good. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Trust me. All right. We're on all the usual social media channels, you know, Twitter, all that stuff. Just look for at Album Nerds on the Twitter and the Instagram and, and all that. If you like the show, tell a friend if you think they'd like it. Tell an enemy if you think they'd hate it, but then maybe they'll actually like it, which would turn out good for us. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio. Leave us a note in the comments over at albumnerds.com. That's our website, the home of the nerds. Please do check it out. And thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll check you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. We love you. We really do. Bye.